This is Internet Marketing. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 135 of Internet Marketing, brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. My name's Andy White and I'm with... Robin Newman. As always. Yes, two um, of us talking about internet marketing gubbins and stuff. Gubbins. Yeah, so talking about gubbins, uh, what gubbins are we talking about today? Okay, well today what I'm going to be doing is taking a presentation that I gave a couple of weeks ago to an internal customer event um, at Site Visibility Clients um, and talking about it a bit here because I thought it was really interesting. And basically what I wanted to talk about was four big trends that I think are dominating internet marketing as we speak um, and kind of give you some things to think about. Um, okay. Now, I'm not going to answer lots of questions here in this episode, but instead what I'm going to do is hopefully talk about some things that you might be aware of that you probably should, you know, oh yeah, definitely I need to know more about that or maybe introduce a few topics that you might not have thought about um, that should be things that you are researching or at least considering or have researched, considered and decided aren't relevant or you know particularly relevant for your business. Now, it's tricky to um, predict the future, um, and that's effectively what I'm trying to do here. Generally, as a species, we're pretty poor at it. I mean, there's lots of examples of this. Um, have you got a hoverboard, Andy? Uh, hover or hopper? A hoverboard, like in no. Back to the Future 2. No, no, I sold mine a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, your jetpack working at the moment? or No, I had no. to bin it. Yeah, and your robot butler still playing up, I imagine, yeah? Don't be ridiculous, that's in the future. <laughs> so yeah, just we suck at it, right? But we're pretty good at thinking we're good at it, right? And it's good fun. So bear in mind, these podcasts are available for posterity. If you're reading, listening to this in 2040 and all of this is absolute rubbish, sorry about that, I tried my best. Um, if you're listening in a year... It might still happen if it hasn't happened yet, but these are things that I think and I'm seeing kind of right now being an issue. Now, the first of these big four trends is the the rise of personalization in in, in marketing. Now, you'll see this in the search results quite a bit um, where kind of social connections are playing a part, right? So um, things that Andy shared are becoming because Andy's a friend of mine in the social network sense and in, in the real life sense but you know in the sense that we're talking about here um, that then starts to influence the results right so if Andy yes. likes a particular blog that might start to appear more frequently in my search results but we're going to see more of this right so Facebook tried to do this a while ago where it's kind of your friend bought this so you might buy this as well and I think you might start to see that because Amazon recommendations are brilliant based on what I've bought but if there was an element that bought in what my friends had bought that would be even more powerful there so the the data's there now because you're sharing it on Facebook you're sharing it on Twitter you're sharing it on LinkedIn you're sharing it on Google Plus that's giving the the, the companies that are trying to control personalization a huge idea of who you are connected to and how who they're connected to and kind of there's some really interesting data about similarities between people in that so social connections are going to have a huge part in personalizing and making the web different for each individual person it's seen most obviously in search at the moment but i think you're going to see it in pretty much every aspect of of of, of the internet um, one thing that just struck me was that uh, for a while now, and I say for a while, it's probably longer than I think it was, 
if you're logged into Google and you do a search, don't you get a, more, a slightly more personalized result? Yeah, um, basically there's 90 days worth of data there that's influencing mm. that. You don't have to be logged in. Oh, right. That happens even if you're just on... So how does so it know computer. you? So from your IP well, that's or? actually quite interesting because that's my next... Oh, okay. Mini element, right, of the, the, the process, which is it's cookies. It's cookies, it's cookies, cookies right. that's playing a part in that. So what they're saying is this browser clicked this search result before, and that, that's kind of contained within cookies. So your previous actions mm. are influencing your future outcomes. So if I search for Java regularly, but I'm clicking on results related to the country. I've searched and visited countries about Indonesia. I'm more likely to get a travel-related term when I search for Java. If I have another person who's very into computer design has clicked on those types of websites, it's more likely that um, results related to the computer language. Isn't this really bad news for SEO people? Um, no, because it makes the first few visits that much more important. Mm. So everyone starts at some point in time with a vanilla set of results. Mm. So that, you know, the first time I start looking for car insurance, I've got no history there to influence that. Um, so it just make, it makes that early stage more important there. Okay. And actually, in some ways, it probably makes it more important because the personalization is going on. If personalization isn't happening in your favor, it's more important that you... Because it's not all personalized. Um, so like a search result page or something that's kind of being personalized based on what you've done previously, not all of it is based on that data. Some of it is based on the the, the default result or the default outcome. And that means that the higher positions of those default outcomes are even more valuable because an element's taken by personalization, the other bits then become more important. So it makes it harder, but it doesn't make it irrelevant, um, right. I would say. Um, so yeah, cookies are going to be a part in that. You know, what you've done previously is going to make your web experience more personalized. And you get that kind of like on Amazon and the like, where it's like, you viewed this product, would you be interested in this product? Mm. You know, that type of thing. Um, you're also getting it through usage as well. And that's not just your usage. I'm a strong believer that um, what other people have done is influencing what is presented. So you see that in some ways, like conversion rate optimization. So you see what other people's interaction is. You change the website as a consequence. But also I think you're seeing that in a sense that like, well, if Google put a website in first place, but it has a higher bounce rate than a normal website would have in that position, they can be fairly confident that that website isn't as good. You know, if people are bouncing back to the search results page, then maybe it shouldn't be there. And I think this kind of data, because analytics is getting better in pr- for pretty much everyone, they're able to be more confident on making decisions based on previous data in aggregate um, to benefit everybody in the future. So there's personalization going on based on that data. Um, and finally, kind of through intelligence, we're just getting, you know, better at understanding how one thing interacts with another mm. I, I forget the name of the tool i'll try and dig it out for the show notes but it, this was an amazing thing where it kind of it gave you like 20 questions about your preferences for various things like did you think this film was better than that film do you like um which band versus that band it was a small section of questions but based on that small section of questions it was able to make very accurate predictions about your preferences for other things because it was able to look at the data that they had mm. on other people. So say I like Back to the Future 2, there's a possibility I'd like Team Wolf. You know, there's kind of connections like that that are fairly obvious. But when you look at that in a kind of much bigger sense with all the kind of preferences that you're showing across all these different sites, you see this on kind of the, like the film DVD sites that they know that 
your tastes are similar to that person's tastes. So therefore, the films that they viewed that you haven't, there's a good likelihood you would see as well. So intelligence is going to be personalizing the results as well. Mm. My next trend is about structure. So this is the second big trend, structure of the web. Now, APIs are so, so significant in the world of the internet at the moment, particularly in kind of marketing spheres. The API is that kind of um, means for someone to share their data with people external to them. Mm. And the most obvious example of this was that's how all the Twitter clients work. They work via the Twitter API. Um, and they're able, Twitter were able to grow much quicker because they had these people who were unconnected to them helping their product, their service, mm. by using their data externally. And you, you'll see this also in kind of affiliate worlds where you're getting feeds and kind of people are selling your products for you because you've provided your data for them in an accessible format. Now, I think if you are a company that has any type of data, um, any type of database, mm. um, how you can make that information more accessible to other people in a way that would be commercially beneficial to you, if you aren't thinking about an API or a feed or a way of making that more accessible to other people, you're missing a trick, mm. really. I think I think APIs are really interesting. There's also the rise of kind of more structured data in the markup, so microformats, rich snippets, and schema, which is the new schema.org, um, which is the agreed new microformat that Yahoo, Bing, and Google have sort of agreed on, which is a slight different from the traditional microformats. But we've talked a little bit about microformats. I was going to say, actually, have we? I, I was trying to remember if we've covered. Well, I think we've I mentioned them a few depth. times. Yeah, but basically, the idea is that on a um, website, you mark things up, right? You say mm. this bit's bold, this bit's a list, this bit, you know, you mm. that kind of thing. Now, a lot of those are standardised, right? So it makes it appear in the search results. But a lot of it, where it's kind of to do with divs, you know, that's kind of it's entirely independent, right? So I can say this div is address, or I can call it location, or I could call it place. And they are all the same thing. So microformats is an attempt to standardize that for particular types of data. So they say, if you're going to put an address on a page, here's how you should mark it up. You can style it however you like, mm. but the town is marked up as town and all these kind of things. Because a lot of this, as a person looking at it, is instinctive. We understand what it is. Mm. But for a machine, they can assume, but they don't know for definite. Mm. So microformats are about marking that up in a certain way. Now, the most common ones are like HCARD for like addresses and personal details, um, HREVIEW um, for kind of review scores out of 100. There's ones like HPRODUCT, which aren't as widely developed, but that's kind of connected to things like the Merchant Center and Google. But basically, the reason that you'll be doing this is to make the search engine's life easier, but they're doing you a favor. So if you look at lots of search results now, you will see elements of microformats being pulled into the, the results, and they're known as rich snippets. So if you search for a name of someone, if you search for Kelvin Newman, mm -hmm. and you see the LinkedIn page, most of those results are blue line for the title, that title tag, two lines for the description, and a line for the URL. LinkedIn, they've got one more line there. They've got blue line for the URL, mm -hmm. um, for the title tag, sorry. A sort of grey text that says my job title, the city I work in, and the company I work for. And that's for. the rich snippet, is it? And that's the rich snippet. Right. And what they've done is they, because LinkedIn is marked up that this is his job, mm. this is his company, this is his location. Google know that, and they pull that in a standard. You'll see that where stars start to appear in search. It's beginning results. of the semantic web. Yeah, yeah, it's all to do with the semantic web, and mm. that's a structural thing that's changing, mm. um, and quite exciting for kind of technical people as well. 
it's kind of sort of connected to structure as well. But I think kind of um, open source software um, is meaning that we kind of build things in a different way. Mm. Now, mo- I can't really understand many arguments for someone to build a website that's not built in one of the major open source content management systems. Be it Joomla, be it Drupal, be it um, WordPress for kind of flat sites, mm. be it Magenta for kind of Magento. It's Magento. I can never remember Magento. Is it Magneto? Uh, yeah, yeah. It is Mag- <laughs> it- Hi, this is Kara Swisher, and I want to talk to you about my new podcast for the New York Times called Sway. If you want to know what people who hold power in our world are really all about, you need to hear how they answer the tough questions. And that is my specialty. And although it might get messy, as it always does, it's also going to be really fun. You can get Sway wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are available Mondays and Thursdays. We know the one we're talking about for uh, Doris, yeah. Now, what that's saying is there is you can actually fashion a pretty good job board out of WordPress and a plugin. Mm. You can function a pretty good directory out of WordPress and a plugin. You can build a pretty good, you know, um, private subscription site using WordPress and a plugin. Now, what that's allowing people to do is to be more innovative and more inventive because they're building on a foundation of an existing content management system rather than having to start from scratch. Um, and that's exciting for innovation because it reduces the cost of it. It's exciting for products, projects, because that's instantly wiped out a chunk of money that they would have had to otherwise spend on you know you're building on something that's already a pretty strong foundation and base there um i think that's really exciting and something that we're only going to see more of Mm. um and also the world of tagging um tagging's gone a bit out of fashion of late you know it was probably most relevant when people were using delicious a lot and they would tag Mm. their content Um, but you're starting to see that again with the hashtags on twitter Mm. now i've said this to a few people um i actually think you could probably knock up a reasonable search engine by taking urls that were tweeted Mm. and their hashtag and associating the two between them and then seeing how many times it's been tweeted, right? So I can see if a URL has been tweeted 150 times with the hashtag apprentice and I search for apprentice, it probably would be a reasonable result. It would be open to spam, but if you ignore that aspect of it, I think you can actually gain quite a lot of data for the association between content and tags. So exciting there on that side of things. Mm. My third trend is the alternative algorithms. Um, now, a lot of people, I mean, you questioned this a bit earlier, Andy, about, oh, well, is that bad news for SEO? Is SEO dead? Mm. What's the future of search marketing? I think for most of us, um, our future, the title might change, what we're doing day to day might change, but I think what we are is algorithm marketers. So we're marketers who understand computer algorithms mm. which influence a purchasing decision. Now, and search, the main Google algorithm is just the main one at the moment. But there are other ones that are rising up, which are, you know, gaining in importance. Now, the first of those is local, right? You search for pretty much any keyword with a geographic modifier in it, and it brings up a map and a set of search results. And Google are bringing in those local results more and more frequently. Um, there's stuff going on at the moment about like mega site links and stuff like that that mm. is all connected to local. Now, the local algorithm is different. It's not a world apart from the normal SEO algorithm, but it needs a different approach. So there's all these different algorithms. You need a different approach to do one in local to that you would do in your normal search. Therefore, you need to understand it, that it's different. There's things like edge rank as well. We, we had an episode a couple of weeks yes, ago about edge rank, about which that. is the, the Facebook algorithm mm. that determines what appears in your newsfeed. 
people need to understand that. And I think like search marketers as people who understand algorithms, uh, who understand that you need to take creative decisions in certain directions to reflect, um, you know, how a computer algorithm works. EdgeRank is one of the really, really important ones. Also, YouTube, they've got a different algorithm at play there that's different to the search one. It's a cert- it's preferences within the system that mm. prefer content to be produced and marked up and labelled and created in certain ways. And Twitter. I mean, at the moment, their search result is search functionality is pretty useless, I'll be honest. Sure. Um, but they're doing these things where there'll be maybe free top tweets, which are people who have tweeted that word that have been retweeted the most frequently. It's a simple algorithm that not many people are using at the moment, but it's only going to get more sophisticated. And if you can be there now and understanding how it is, how it's changing, when there's a need for more of that kind of understanding, you're going to be in a very good place for it. So that's three of my four trends. And the final one is data driving action. Um, Now, in the last episode, we talked about Ubersuggest, right, which is a keyword research tool that's based on the Google suggestions when you type stuff in. Mm -hmm. Um, That ability to be producing content based on a suggestion is an example of data, the data in the Google Suggest, driving your content strategy. Um, we're going to see that's happened for a long time you know like I've looked at the keyword research data so I've created a page to reflect that but I'm seeing more and more of that kind of data empirical evidence um, determining a creative process so I've seen that this blog post has done well so I'm going to write one similar to it isn't that going to cause a kind of uh, cascade effect yeah, I mean, I think it is... Trends. Yeah, I mean, you see this kind of memes of content, don't you? So lots of mm. people saw infographics were a good way to build links, so therefore lots of people built lots more infographics. Mm. And you're going to get trends and peaks and troughs of stuff being successful, and you want to be the first person to copy someone else rather than the 70th person to copy mm. someone else. Um, but you can see that more, I think, just in your own data. So what have you seen that's done well previously? What you know, What content is the tools of other people suggesting you should be producing? Um, Predictive modelling is something that we've been taking very, very seriously at site visibility recently. So rather than someone coming to us and saying, I want to hit X rankings or I need to do X amount of revenue from Y amount of you know, marketing spend, what we're trying to do is say, okay, well, you've got a target that you need to hit. Let's select the keywords based on the potential for them to achieve that target. So I'll probably do an episode in this in its own right, get ground to talk about it in more detail. But essentially, now when we're doing keyword research, say, for example, we're looking at what the volume is, what the potential click-through rates are in different positions, what the historic conversion rate is for each of those keywords, if we've got any data for them, or if not, applying a kind of general rule for that category, and then kind of applying, okay, well, what's the average order value? And then you know what each keyword, each ranking, each place, which place improvement, how much, what the num- numerical bottom line monetary mm. value of that improvement Powerful. is. And with that, yeah, with that knowledge, that then should determine what you spend to achieve that, right? Mm. Because I think too, far too frequently you can say, we want to be number one for this. We're number three, we want to be number one for it. Um, and then someone has to say, okay, well, I, my assumption is that this amount of work is required to achieve that. Mm. And they say, yeah, that seems like good value. We'll do that. And you spend that money and nine times out of 10, you'll get the success eventually. It might be a bit difficult, but you'll get there. Mm. But what hasn't happened was understanding if that investment had been spent elsewhere, would there have been a bigger return on it? Um, 
if they, it was going to cost 10 grand to get there, but it takes 10 years to pay back that 10 grand, mm. then actually you might not have made that decision. So, you know, it's just a, a maturity in the market, a maturity in digital marketing, where people are starting to go, well, I know I might be able to get a thousand Facebook fans for you, but what's that a thousand Facebook fans going to turn into in terms of a monetary value? Does that then justify the investment that you're suggesting to? together yeah, yeah it's just the power the whole powerful thing about knowing the value of a particular keyword as you're yeah, saying yeah. and being able to um you know return on investment mm, work mm, out is worth doing mm. and another thing that's i think seo mods are at the forefront of this in the world of seo but you're seeing it in kind of people at hubspot as well doing this kind of in social media spheres that is the rise of the correlation study so a lot of digital marketing is built on gut instinct and impressions and interpretations of circumstance. And that's good. And it works really well for most people. Um, But if you can see that in previous circumstances, including a certain word in your tweet increases its likelihood of someone retweeting it, then you'll probably want to include that word in that tweet if it's appropriate. You'll probably want to know about it as well. Yeah, and you want to know about it as well. So these correlation studies that are going on, things like, I mean, mine's only small scale, but recently the stuff I've been doing about looking, well, does something that gets shared on Twitter have Mm. an equal likelihood of being shared on Facebook? You know, it's only a small thing, but there's hundreds, if not thousands of people doing these small scale correlation studies, sharing them publicly that mean that we're less likely to make mistakes. The less likely we are to make mistakes, the more likely we are to be successful. And then you know you build above and beyond that. Um, and also data, like just stupid things, like people are really starting to get their head around analytics and looking at where the holes are in their funnel or the leaks in their process. Is there a button that doesn't work quite as the person would expect it to? Is there a page of your process that explains how your delivery works that has a higher dropout rate than you would expect, which means should you be reworking that content? Do you have certain products which get added to your basket more than other products, but don't get bought once they're in the basket at the same ratio? Do you have certain white papers that describe themselves in certain ways that despite getting the same amount of traffic as other white papers with different descriptions, get a higher click-through rate. That means you can exchange that. And all that data is there with a free tool in Google Analytics. There's even more if you start to get in some of the paid-for tools. And it's just really exciting for me to kind of, we've always concentrated on just get more people in. And, you know, if enough people get through the door, enough of them are going to buy eventually. Mm. When actually not worrying about, well, what do we do with those people once we get them through the door? And, you know, that... that yeah, so that's, it's sort yeah. of the and then what mentality, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that's it. So they're my kind of big four trends that we've got there. So we've got... Um, the kind of um, personalization we've got the data driving action we've got i've kind of confused myself on my four different things here so we've got um, data driving action um alternative algorithms structures structures and personalization Personalization, and there's elements of those um trends they interconnect there's different patterns within them but hopefully in that you've seen some things that either trends that you've seen it's like yeah i can see myself heading that direction or maybe introduce some new things to you've not heard about before i'll tell you what'd be really interesting uh, kelvin to come back in a year's time and review this this episode <laughs> oh, don't do that I'll, 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 I'll have been proved very wrong at least i'm not predicting things like twitter are gonna buy i don't know um facebook or something like that. i do if they did next week now wouldn't it <laughs> fantastic so yeah hopefully there's some bits in there that people will find interesting and want to explore a little more Kelvin thank you so much really great information there and uh, we wait with bated breath so take advantage of it folks just be aware of those what you know those uh, 
those trends and uh, try and ride the wave. Absolutely, as Kelvin nods his head. Yeah, which well, doesn't sorry, nodding doesn't work. Nod, nod, nod. <laughs> nod, nod, nod. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, keep keep the reviews and the emails and the MP3s and the phone calls coming. Number at the yes. end. And uh, that's it from me, Andy White. And goodbye from me, Kelvin Newman. And we'll see you next time on Internet Marketing, brought to you by Site Visibility. Goodbye. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on the internet at www.internetmarketingpodcast.org where you'll find show notes, links, and instructions on how to subscribe. We would absolutely love to get feedback, comments, and questions from you. If you want to send an email, send it to kelvin.newman at sitevisibility.com. Also, feel free to comment on the website. And if you'd like to use our voice line number... If you're outside of the UK, it's plus four four one two seven three two five six or one five oh. If you're inside the UK, it's O one two seven three two five six one five oh. And you can leave a voice comment or question and we'll play it on the show. Also, we would absolutely be delighted if you would give us a, a rating on iTunes itself. Well that's it for now. Andy White is signing off until next week on Internet Marketing. What's new in podcasting? Here's what we love, courtesy of ACAST Recommends. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being completely straight mm-hmm. and 10 being completely gay, what number are you? Um. You know, I don't think that you should rank how gay they are. I guess, I, and you know, that's just a little of a red, just a flag for me. Come on, come out. A weekly podcast where real lesbians tell their real coming out stories. You can find Come On, Come Out on your favorite podcatcher out now. Go listen. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.